Hello, and welcome to the PCF Bible Talk Podcast. My name is Anna, and I'm here with my co-workers. Hi, I'm Sky. And hi, I'm Sam. And we're excited that Sam is joining us today while Bernea is on a break. This podcast is focusing on part two of Lesson 7 of the Drama of Redemption, where we're going to continue to talk about the story of Israel, the nation of Israel stuck in Egypt, and how God is preparing their deliverance. And we're following particularly the character of Moses. And that's where we left off last time in part one. So we had been introduced to Moses, and we had seen how he had sort of tried to help the Hebrews who were in slavery in Egypt, but he had failed, and he had fled to the land of Midian. And if we read further in chapter 2, we would have found that he got married, he settled down, he had a kid, he now has livestock and flocks, and he seems to have basically settled in Midian. And in a sense, the storyline has taken a quite quiet and domestic turn, and Moses could have just lived out his life in Midian, and that would have been the end of that. But it turns out that God had a different plan for Moses's life, and he was not finished with him and his work in Egypt and with the Israelites yet. And that is the story that we're going to follow up in today. Because it wasn't that Moses remembered the people of Israel, but the text very specifically, it's at the end of chapter two, I'll read for you verses 23 and 25. It says, During those many days, the kings of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Seriously, I get chills when I read that passage because, Mm -hmm. again, it seems like God didn't remember, but he does remember. He does see, and he is the main actor in the Bible who's going to take action. And so because God sees and God remembers, he's going to get Moses and call him to his task. And that's where we begin. So, to start in Exodus 3, verses 1 through 10, Sky, can you kick off the story here? Yep. Chapter 3, verse 1, starting in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take off your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. 
And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. All right, so God steps into this story in a very visible way and communicates a lot of things here to Moses. What did you guys see in this important text? Well, first we see a burning bush, like God's giving Moses this really strange, defying the laws of nature, but really unmistakable sign that God is real. Um, And we see that this bush um, is really on fire, but it also is not consuming the land around it. And also we see that God is clearly identifying himself to Moses, um, kind of telling him, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, So we see that God is really a personal God. He is a God who has already had a history and existing relationships with certain people. Um, And he also hasn't forgotten his people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as uh, God clearly identifies himself to Moses, God also explains what he's going to do and why he's going to do it. Uh For what he's going to do, he says, I will deliver my people from Egypt and bring them to a good land. He's just saying, this is what I'm going to do. And why am I going to do it? Because I've heard their cry. I've seen their suffering. I am upset. I am angry by the oppression, by the injustice that is happening. I am going to deliver them. And one other thing that we see is God tells Moses that he's going to be the instrument that he will use. God is going to use Moses as his instrument to do these things. That's kind of, if you see the pronoun in verse 10, it says, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. So yeah, there's a lot of different things in there, um, but God is clearly giving some direction of where he's going, why he's doing things. Wow. So God has stepped into the story and he says he's going to work this great deliverance. We now have a solution to our problem. How is Mm -hmm. the covenant going to be preserved? But then we're going to hit another snag in the plan. And the snag is Moses. And as we read farther in this conversation, we'll discover that Moses is reluctant to take on this role that God has called him to do. And what we're going to work through now is actually one of the lengthiest conversations between God and a person that we have recorded anywhere in scripture. It's like one and a half chapters. And in it, Moses talks with God and gives five excuses or reasons as to why God's plan is not a good plan, and Moses thinks that he should come up with a different plan. (laughs) And we want to talk through where Moses' excuses came from and and what he was thinking about what his concerns were and how God answered his concerns. To start, Sam, can you read the next two verses, which is Exodus 3, verses 11 and 12? Yeah. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Okay, Sky, what do you see as his first excuse or his first fear or anxiety? Mm -hmm. Yeah, his first fear and anxiety is just he's, he's worried that he's inadequate. Um, he's like, I, I can't, I can't do this. Um, he's just thinking in terms of his own power. Uh, he's not thinking in terms of God, God's power. So yeah. Right. He says, 
who am I? But that's not the question, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not the question, who are you, Moses? It's the question, who God is. But yeah, that's his worry. I'm not the right person. And yeah, how, Sam, what do you see? How does God respond to this fear? Um, I really like the phrase, but I will be with you. Um, it shows that God is immediately kind of going to the the heart of the issue, um, addressing Moses's fear and fear that he is alone in this um, and just reassuring him. Um, and kind of like you said, asking that question of who am I? Um, God seems to more want God seems to want him to ask more, um, like, whose am I rather than who am I? Um, God wants Moses to know that he's with him and he will equip him and empower him for um, the purposes that God has. Yeah, and then it's also kind of strange. We're given this, we're, or we're told that uh, Moses will be given a sign. Um, and the sign is when, from the text it says, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So kind of the sign that the people will serve God. Um, but before they see this sign, um, Moses has to first believe God, obey God, um, and kind of take the risk and go before Pharaoh. Um, we're going to read more about that. Uh, but before the sign will be received, there is this element of faith, trust in God that has to come first. Okay, so God answers Moses' first fear and assures him of his presence and that he will make this thing happen. But Moses has a few more fears and anxiety. So, Mm -hmm. Sky, can you read verses 13 through 15? Mm -hmm. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Okay, so Moses' next fear is that the people of Israel won't know who he's talking about. If Moses shows up and said, God has sent me to lead you out, they would be like, well, what God? Who? Um, And he asks God, how am I supposed to answer them? And God does give him an answer. So what strikes you there, Sam, in God's answer? Uh, First, that God doesn't dismiss the question, Moses's question of what to say as um, unimportant or impertinent even to question God's identity. Um, And this is understandable because Moses and I guess the people of Israel and these Egyptians are all living in a very pantheistic and polytheistic culture with so many different religions and gods. Um, And so it's very important to clarify uh, the identity of the one true God. And so we see God kind of bearing witness to himself on who he is. And again, bringing up the relationships that he has had with humans already in the past. And in this past passage, that God uses the identification he used before, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which really sets him, as we said, in, in relationship with specific people. But he also adds this really profound definition, I am who I am. Guy, can you talk a little bit about the significance of this self-identification? Yeah. Yeah. And this is very important because this is where God is like giving us almost his proper name. I am who I am. Um, And that word, kind of the verb there is to be. 
God is saying like, I am, I am being, I am here. Um, and sometimes uh, you also see this translated in scripture as Lord, like all capital, capital L, capital O, R, D, like all capital Lord. Um, and sometimes you'll also see I am capitalized as well. And that just really um, is showing you that this is God's proper name. Um, this is the sacred name of God, which sometimes you also hear as Yahweh. Um, so Yahweh is God's name. Um, and Yahweh is the one um, who is in the covenant relationship uh, with Israel, with the people. So yeah, just this I am is really rich. It's a really rich name. And it also just shows us his eternal nature um, and his presence. Like I am who is, I am here, I am with you. Um, it's just really pointing out these characteristics of God and a really, yeah, just such a rich name um, for God to call himself by. Yeah, a lot of fruitful meditation and prayer could go into just reflecting on that name. Um, but thanks for introducing it to us, Sky. Mm -hmm. But to keep going in the text, after God identifies who he is and answering Moses' objection about who am I to say you are, he then goes on to elaborate how Moses is going to accomplish the plan that God has called him to do. So Sam, can you tackle this one with some more complicated names in it, but just how God wants Moses to accomplish this plan? Okay. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go, unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Okay, this is an amazing detailed description of what God is going to do. And in fact, if as we keep reading in Exodus, we will find out this is exactly what happens. Uh, so God is assuring Moses, like, I know what's going to happen. You're going to ask. He's going to say no, but this is what I'm going to do. And then you're going to even be able to come out with plunder. You're not just going to come out with nothing. You're going to come out with stuff, even because I'm going to accomplish this victory. You can feel God sort of giving him assurance and saying, I know the plan. I am God. I know what's going to happen. This is going to happen. But Moses is still anxious about this plan. He fled from Egypt because he had murdered someone, and he's not really comfortable going back there for lots of reasons. And so he continues to voice his hesitations and objections. So, Sky, could you read verses 1 through 9 of chapter 4, and we can hear his, his next objection and how God answers it. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. 
And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it out on dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. All right, things are getting interesting here. So Moses says, but what if they don't believe me? Okay, now you told me your name, but what if I say, the Lord God told me this and they say, no, we don't believe you. He didn't. Because again, we remember when Moses tried to settle that dispute between these two Hebrews, they said, who made you Lord and ruler over us? So Moses is afraid that the people will be incredulous, that they won't believe what Moses is telling them. How did God respond or what, yeah, what's interesting about how God responded and gave him assurance on this point? What do you guys think? It seems like the Lord is telling Moses that things are going to get uh, worse or things are going to get crazy before they become clear. Um, and I think the idea of having your staff, which is something like really reliable, um, turning into a serpent that no one would want to touch um, is quite terrifying. But the Lord is kind of showing Moses that like he is going to redeem this situation, even though it looks dangerous, even though it looks scary. And obviously like no human should go around um, grabbing serpents. <laughs> but with the Lord, when the Lord is with Moses, suddenly all, all of these things are possible and they can be miraculously overcome. Yeah. And I would just briefly kind of add to that. We see two other signs um, that go right along in there. Um, a hand that is turned leprous, that has leprosy, and then when put back in the cloak is healed. Um, and again, just seeing the power that God has and God's like, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you a sign that you can show the people. Um, and even if they don't believe these first two miraculous things, I'm going to give you a third one. Mm-hmm. Take some water out and pour it on the ground and you'll see it become blood. Um, and these are just sure signs that God's mm-hmm. like, I am with you. I will even show you. I've shown you my power. You saw me in the burning bush, but I will give you signs to show the people my power as well. Mm-hmm. And I think God is really gracious here, too. I mean, number one, he's answering Moses's objections, but he also understands that the people, when Moses comes, might, in a sense, have have some right to be incredulous. Like, how do they know that Moses actually talked with God and is not just saying this? Mm -hmm. And so God will meet them with miraculous signs as a confirmation of the word that he has spoken. And we see that throughout scripture. God will give signs, not on demand, not all the time that we want it to happen. But he understands that there are a lot of competing narratives out there. Like we were talking about in the Egyptian context, there are a lot of gods. And actually the book of Exodus, we're going to sort of have, uh, 
God off a God battle between the God of Israel and the false gods of Egypt, which is what the plagues are about as we get later on. But we see here that God is going to say, no, I will offer these signs to show the people that I am the real God that you have seen and that I have sent you. So I just think God is really gracious in that. All right. So he answers Moses's objection that they won't listen to him. But Moses has not yet run out of things to say. So, uh, Sam, can you read uh, the next two verses or three verses, verses 10 through 12? But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. This is a really interesting one. What do you guys see in this one? What are his objections, and how does God answer them? Yeah. Well, his first objection is one that resonates with me. Um, I am not eloquent. Like, God, I I can't speak well. Um, What am I going to be able to say? Like, you, you know I'm not like a preacher. I'm not standing up there. Not that they would have had the preachers in the same way we think of them today. Um, but yeah, he's just like, I'm not eloquent. I can't speak. Um, so that's, that's his objection that he takes to God. Mm-hmm. And I guess in both of the responses, um, in the earlier passage and in this one, um, the Lord really seems to be uh, growing Moses's faith, um, not in not in himself, not in Moses's self, but rather in the Lord. And just telling him time and time again, um, yes, maybe your uh, abilities or maybe your uh, capacity is not um, not trustworthy. Uh, you're not capable to wrangle, wrangle a snake. You're not capable of um, speaking and convincing an entire nation to go out and to be freed and set off into the wilderness by yourself. But you can trust in me. You can trust in my capability um, to do this. And so he's really growing Moses's trust in him just over this entire passage. And the, the part that I love um, too is just because Moses's complaint is I can't speak. And God's like, I made your mouth. <laughs> like end of argument. I made your mouth. <laughs> I will be with your mouth. <laughs> yeah. Again, just that, back to that question that God is pushing him to say, "Whose am I? Not who am I?" Moses is like, mm-hmm. "I don't think I'm a really good speaker." And God's like, "I have given you a message to speak, and I made your mouth. That's what you should be thinking about, mm-hmm. not about your own qualifications or lack thereof in your own self perception." Mm-hmm. All right. So that's. That was that was reason number four. We're whittling it down. Moses is running out of things, but he's not done. And his last one, Sky, can you read verses 13 through 17? Mm-hmm. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. 
Okay, we may have all been there in an argument. You know, we put forward lots of reasons why we don't want to do something, but in the end, it comes out we just don't want to do it. And Moses's last excuse is not even an excuse. It's just a, dear Lord, please send someone else. I don't want to do this. And it's only at this point that it says the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And again, I think that's very <clears throat> important for us that Moses was allowed to ask all these questions. He dialogued with God. God wasn't getting angry with him, wasn't getting upset with him until he just sort of straight out in subordination said, I don't want to do that, despite all the things that you've you've assured me of, of your presence and your gifting and capability. What strikes you guys in this in this final final excuse, final reason, final just like don't make me do it from Moses? I guess the yeah the the idea of Moses um, because of his doubt in God kind of also being disobedient in his actions mm-hmm. and we can see that contrasted a lot with the person of of Jesus because I think there's a very similar scene in which Jesus right before he gets crucified he's like oh mm-hmm. Lord like if it be your will um, please please let it be someone else or like let this cup pass away from me. Um, but the, but Jesus in that situation is never doubting in the Lord's ability to, um, overcome, uh, to, to make clear, to bring redemption and renewal and change. Um, and so we see that Jesus is acting out of obedience, um, but while, while Moses is acting out of disobedience, um, but I think that contrast mm-hmm. just really goes to show, um, where, where human, um, where human failing happens like Jesus um, can fulfill that and and kind of show us wh- what is what is the ideal to to live for and to to strive for mm-hmm. yeah and we even see um, as we continue on in the Bible and the gospel and Jesus um, uh, and then specifically here with Moses we see you know God gets angry um, but God doesn't give up on him mm-hmm. God like okay, and you're going to do this, and I'm still going to be with you. Um, and God's like, this is this is my will, um, and I'm, yeah, I'm going to continue to be with you. I'm going to persevere with you through this, um, even though yeah. you don't desire to. And he makes this accommodation for Moses, even in the midst of his anger. He says, okay, fine, your brother Aaron, the Levite, I know that he can speak well, and I, we will work with him too. Again, like you say, Sky, God doesn't give up on him. But it's also possible that Moses's insubordination and refusal is not without consequence. Later, we'll see Aaron misleading the people of Israel to worship the golden calf and using mm-hmm. his persuasive skills for bad ends. So we don't exactly know what the trajectory would have been if Moses had been obedient. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you say, just a great time, Sam, to Jesus. And when he was in a similar situation, he said, yes, I will do this, even though I don't want to do this. And I will trust in your salvation. And we just don't know what would have happened if Moses had been more responsive to God um, in this moment. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's the end of this conversation between Moses and God. And and Moses now will get up and go to Egypt and begin to initiate this plan of salvation as God has laid it out for him. And that's where we're going to pick up next time. But that brings this episode to a close. So as we come to a close, I just want to encourage you, if you're listening, to think about how this text connects to your own life. Um, 
In what ways do you see yourself in Moses's excuses or feelings of concern or anxiety over what God is asking him to do? How do you resonate with what Moses is saying and whatever God might be calling you to do in your in your own life? And then how do you take that next step to say what truths from God can help you overcome those excuses or alleviate those fears? Again, God speaks a lot of truth and a lot of comfort to Moses, and we have a lot of truth and comfort in the scriptures. So how can we also answer our our excuses and our feelings with the word of God? So I encourage you guys to be reflecting on that. I hope if you're involved in PCF that you will be joining us in our small group Bible studies this week. We hope to see you there and be able to discuss this text even more in that context. So thanks so much for listening, and we're going to close out now. God bless. God bless.